Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, how's it going? And welcome to episode number 42 of Someone Who Isn't Me. My name is Daniel and my guest on this one is Aaron Weaver of Wolves in the Throne Room. Aaron's a very cool and erudite musician, artist and spiritual practitioner. And as the nerd that I am, I could draw your attention to the fact that this is an auspicious episode as it's the 42nd one. And you could relate that to the 42 stages of enlightenment in Tibetan Buddhism, or we could discuss the Kabbalistic name of God made up of 42 letters. Or dissect the 42nd hexagram of the I Ching Yi, representing the cycle of life, decay and rebirth, like a wheel turning the seasons from spring through to winter and around again. Or we could just go, huh, 42, that's nice. Anyway, in this episode, we talk a little bit about the band's fantastic recent album, Primordial Arcana, which I would say is one of my favorite albums of 2021. And I wouldn't even be lying. It's wicked. It's so good. That album, along with the discussions Aaron had both here and also on the Downbeat podcast with Craig, uh, inspired me to finally get my shit together and start writing the atmospheric black metal album that's been scratching at the door for quite some time now, actually. Anyways, that aside, Aaron and I discuss music and its creation and the mystical nature of, uh, well, nature and the role that it plays in his and his brother Nathan's creative process. Long-time listeners of the pod will know that I like to get to the mystical chit-chat in these pods, and Aaron and I get to it pretty quickly, to be honest. If you enjoy this episode and you're a first-time listener, uh, welcome and thanks. Uh, I suggest checking out the last episode with Chelsea Wolfe, also the one with Ina Selvik from Wardruna, and then maybe the Grant Morrison and Alan Moore episodes as well to crack on with, and then all the others as well, if that's your kind of thing. Regular listeners are probably thinking, holy shit, Two episodes in two weeks. Yeah, you're welcome. This is Aaron Weaver of Wolves in the Throne Room. Enjoy. There's a load of stuff that I want to speak to you about. Um, I've all, I, I've looked through my notes that I made, and unfortunately they're very stream of consciousness, so they, they kind of jump around a little bit. So if it starts to do that, I did try and start reorganizing them so they made some kind of so that there was some kind of obvious timeline to what I wanted to speak to you about, but there may be stuff that jumps backwards and forwards, so I apologize in advance. Oh, that's my preferred method. I'm a chaos wizard, so... Nice. Let the, uh, let the madness commence. Exactly. I'm glad we're getting to do this, though, because I feel like... I mean, I've been a huge admirer of your work for a long time, and as I said, said to you the other day in, in that um, message, I, I realized that it was... I think next month actually is, is 10 years that you went into Maida Vale and recorded for, for my show. So, yeah, so it's been a minute that I've been a fan. 
put it that way. That's awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, I remember that um, very clearly. It was such a, it was so fun for us. Like I'm such like a fan of just British music culture in general. Yeah. And, um, and um, yeah, I remember it just feeling like this kind of, like kind of magical thing to come into these storied halls and uh, get to participate in the, uh, in the ritual. Yeah. It's quite a place. I think there's definitely, um, I mean, as we will get to, I'm sure fairly quickly places can truly be imbued with magical energy, I think. And, and that is one of them, which I think is quite unusual because normally we associate that kind of thing with more natural surroundings. But, um, I, I think there are certain places that are quite storied and and I think that call it the vibe if I, I'm not a huge fan of using that word but yeah it's definitely a place is imbued with it indeed yeah you know uh vibe is a word I use constantly <clears throat> being a, a west coast dude I, at heart I do as well but a lot of people find that I don't know maybe it's me being British that in the context of certain conversations people write me off very quickly <laughs> Which, yeah you got to put on the appropriate costume sometimes <laughs> yeah well that's that's life isn't it yeah very much so so uh let's i'm not i'm never very good at getting into these because i always want them just to be kind of fairly chill conversations and obviously i want to speak about the record but um we should also talk about only if it comes up yeah yeah no, no i definitely want to talk about it i think the record's amazing but um, yeah, so for me, the thing is with your band, when I first heard heard you that I feel like there are certain artists that resonate. And I've said this with a few people on the podcast because I tend to do this only with people that, that I feel that about. So I, I think that there's a, a certain resonance to your band uh, and I find that, you know, I get stoked on music constantly, but the, but the actual deep elemental uh vibe vibe <laughs> is is it can be a rare thing right um yeah and, sure and i i think all creativity comes from that place for sure so we can definitely get into that in a bit but the thing that i loved about your band when i first heard it was it moved me in a way that certain other bands do that i hold very dear to my heart that are um, that I consider to be of a, um, not a different class, because that, that makes everything sound like a competition and, and, and classism is, is shit. But um, in, in a group that seem to be working on a level that's just beyond making music because they're stoked to make music. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, the way I've looked at it is that the music is the outward form that we express through. Yeah. Um, but there's a deeper uh, source of the music. Um, and there's a, you know, it's so deeply woven into my life just as a human being on the human path. Um, the music is a, kind of a necessary part of my own personal growth and transformation just you know living life you know being born eventually dying and then everything that happens in between yeah. and i think that maybe what you're sensing is that the music is not in any way a put on it's not a 
um, there's not an act that's associated with it. Yeah. It's um, a pure and direct transmission from my heart or our hearts wherever we are at that time in life, whether it was 15 years ago when our first record came out or, or right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's palpable. And I think playing within, I guess the genre that you kind of get put within most, which I, I guess is, I guess we could say black metal, but it's, it's definitely its own take on that. And um, I think informed by that rather than just being that. But I think that those second wave bands originally had this kind of visceral energy to them that was very connected to like the landscape and yeah I feel like that's something that I can feel within your work and 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 having listened to a couple of interviews with you and read stuff and just generally kind of poured over things the kind of visual side of the band you can see I, I feel that that's what that's about right yeah indeed like um the most important uh, source of inspiration for us um, and not just artistic inspiration, like, Oh, I like that painting. I want to make something that looks like that, mm. but rather something that's really deep and like coming from a very deep place within our own psyche or within the psyche of the earth itself is the landscape. Yeah. Um, and I, and yeah, I think everyone that encounters our music immediately notices that the music feels like a place. Yeah. It feels like the forests and mountains and rivers of Cascadia. Yeah. And that's very much by design. Um, it's not even a music. It's not even music. That's about a place. It's music that comes from the place. Um, and in many ways I consider myself a conduit or a channeler mm. um, for that energy. And it's just passing through me turns into music through the you know human alchemy that we have access to and then i spit it out the other side for people to connect with and whatever way works for them yeah i think when when you are tuned into that because it it doesn't sound like an easy task to do at all by any means but i think those things i mean making art of any worth is not the easiest of tasks anyway but i feel like when you're um when you're true to that that comes through very obviously and i think that's another another thing that, that um that makes the art valid not that that's not that that's a, of any kind of not necessary but do you know what i mean it, i think it, it um that's another thing that that is so obvious within the work yeah i agree with that um yeah the music that i connect to is music that's honest and authentic yeah and it's not just you know hipster stuff or trendy stuff or i don't know copying a certain musical or artistic style but it's something that is rising up out of the artist yeah um without any sort of regard or concern for how it'll be perceived it's uh you know it's almost like breathing or just the functions of the body they just happen and um thankfully there are people that connect with it like i'm really glad that we have an audience of people that really do connect with the music, not just as, Oh, that's some cool stuff. I like the riffs, but they feel it in their hearts and their, and deeper down in their bodies. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that, um, like you came up through the Olympia punk scene, right? When, when you were growing up, you and Nathan, I mean, do you think that in any way, I know it sounds like quite a, quite a reach on the surface, 
that most people aren't going li- to like hear Beat Happening or Bikini Kill or, or or Unwound or any of those kind of bands and, and then make the obvious connection. But I think when we're talking about authenticity and and the passion within things, I think that that coming up through any of those kind of scenes through the more DIY sort of punk, hardcore and metal scenes, I think that imbues you with that thing, that desire for that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Growing up in Olympia during those days, like, you know, I graduated high school in 1996. So that was right. And, and at that time was just starting to become immersed and initiated into, you know, the world of heavy metal and death metal, um, but also the local underground scene and then the wider West coast underground scene and then the nationwide underground scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. I say that to people all the time that, um, you know, seeing, you know, whatever riot girl shows. Yeah. On the surface, just like you said, seems to have a aesthetic incoherence, but yeah, there is something in there that we learned and we picked up. Um, and maybe we should just call it the DIY approach. It's about, being always a hundred percent honest and true to your own vision, your own artistic desires and your own heart. Um, and even though our music is, has nothing to do with beat happening, obviously I feel a really strong connection to that scene. Um, because I see in them the same thing that's in us, this, uh, unwavering commitment to keeping the art very pure and keeping the art connected to community too. That's another really important part of it is that um, when we were coming up in music, it was not just about making music in a hermetically sealed container or making music, hoping to be on some huge stage someday. It was about making music that connects us together and weaves us together into a strong, vibrant community of mutual aid and support um, that can carry you through your entire life. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, that scene plays a huge, a huge part in in a lot of people's musical upbringing. I think. I mean, I'm not saying specifically the Olympia scene, but but that whole world. I mean, I I don't know an awful lot about Olympia. I, I the only kind of connection I really have with it, bizarrely enough, is from the other side. You know, from the other coast, because I I was hugely into like a lot of the Revolution Summer bands in DC and and Discord and 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 those two scenes seem to have this real, as you were saying, this kind of this wider connection. Yeah. Well, DC and Olympia in those days were very connected. Yeah. Um, actually the only other place I've lived outside of Olympia was, is Washington DC. I lived there for like a year or so right before we started wolves in the throne room. And yeah, people would move back and forth and, um, yeah, there was always a K records discord connection, really different music, but yeah, there's something about this. Yeah. It's like wanting to make music that is uncompromising raw from the heart. And um, not willing to play any games, not willing to roll over for the music industry or for capitalism as a system, but to ride the snake in our own way um, with the intention of, I don't know, there's like a, there's a moral element as well. Yeah. um, That, that comes to mind. There's a, there's a concept that music is meant to change the world or at least change people's individual lives in a way that is positive, that leads towards healing, that leads towards justice, that leads towards um, a greater flourishing of love um, in this, in this world, in this 3d incarnation. Yeah. 
I agree. I mean, you you were saying earlier about the alchemical process of 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 making art. That's what that's exactly what that is. That's the alchemical process. Is you know, most people just think it's when you talk about alchemy, they're like, oh yeah, that's that was the old like in the olden days when people were taking base metal and trying to turn it into gold. But but obviously that that was all a metaphor for for the journey of life anyway. Yeah. Well, that's how I view it. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, alchemy is, um, yeah, it's such a deep subject and it's a bit of a trendy subject, especially now in this world of social media when images and whatever memes can kind of fly around. Yeah. And um, I think that sometimes that can be really mind expanding under certain circumstances, but it also can kind of obf- obfuscate things and keep it at a surface, surface level understanding um, about what alchemy is. Like, what does it actually mean when you get down into the energetics of it? Um, the more veiled or occult um, truth about what's going on there and those old images you see from the Renaissance or whatever. Yeah. But I think, I think we're in an age at the moment now where, where it feels like so many people are, are on that path. And I mean, they, they probably don't view it within that, but you know, you know, just listening to the, the conversation you had with Craig on the downbeat about mindfulness. And I believe that, yeah, it, it is very trendy right now everybody's talking about their yoga practice everybody's talking about their meditation practice everybody's talking about mindfulness and that's great i'm all for that if people are going to be like oh yeah this is the cool thing and i'm going to get into it for a minute i believe it's like any kind of occult practice which all those things are which no one really wants to actually talk about but that they they form the basis of of most most practices from both eastern and western i believe great people are dipping their toe in and once you start to do that you you'll see the benefits and and some people continue down those paths but i I guess that's like any kind of calling isn't it about anything in life forming a band for example yeah i totally i i totally agree yeah a lot of people would want to sort of belittle the fact that there's this trend like witch talk or whatever just you know younger people kind of getting into it and enjoying the style and the aesthetic of it and denigrate that. I don't do that at all, man. Like, um, yeah, just like you said, I think that anyone that is starting to do some work on themselves and journey inwards, um, using these techniques, I mean, that's a positive thing in my, in my view. Yeah. I I think, you know, there's traps and pitfalls along the way, but those traps and pitfalls are part of the path. And, um, as more and more people become initiated into it and have, you know, been down the path, Um, there's more people that can kind of help the next generation along when they run into uh, the dark spots or the dark nights of the soul or the Mm. uh, infinite hell realms that you sometimes do encounter on the journey, whatever the journey of human life, the journey of magic, one in the same. Um, Yeah. I I know that I've uh, both been in those places of being completely lost and um, terrified um, and also I've been helped along by elders who have been there themselves yeah, and, you know, have, have found some paths out of the uh, swamp of despair. I agree. And, and I think those moments where when you have those, those, those are an initiation within themselves anyway. You know, that, that's, that's, as you said, that's part of the path, isn't it? I think having those moments where they, they, are, they feel like an, an entrapment, but they're another part of the puzzle that's just got to be moved around, overcome, however you want to view it. Possibly. 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I believe. I mean, I've experienced that, and so I'm not going to say that's the way it is for everyone. But mm. um, I've seen it in myself, and I've seen it in enough people. I've seen it in literature. I've seen it in mythology. That it seems as though it's an archetype. Yeah. The one thing that I wish I would have had in my mind when I was going through my darkest times was to not to take it so fucking seriously. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, when I was trapped in um, the dark night of the soul, it just seemed as though the world was ending and I was completely lost and would always be lost in these hell realms. Mm. Um, I wish I would have had a little bit more lightness about it, a little bit more of a um, strong understanding that this is just something that's happening right now and this will pass. Yeah. And um, there's something else that will come up on the other side of this that's very worthwhile and to, um, yeah, man, uh, laugh a little bit about it. Don't take it to, don't take it so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, I hear you. But to, to be able to have that aerial view for a split second is, is ne- never easy to get, is it? <laughs> but, um, no, that that's where, yeah, that's where friend that's where friends and mentors can come in. Yes. Uh, who can provide that outside perspective. Yeah, I agree. Have you had, do you have like a teacher that actually I know what, what we're going to get into if we start talking about that. So let's save that actually for a moment. Um, uh, let's talk a bit more about the band. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. I, I did say this was going to jump around, but this is, so I apologize if this feels like it's kind of not making much sense. So, you know, when you did the triptych of like um, two hunters, black cascade and celestial lineage, and then you did um, Celestite, which was totally different a totally different sonic prospect. Same, I, I believe it was definitely working with the same archetypes and feelings again, but very different sonically. Was that kind of like a, a response to completing those three? Because I did see that you'd said that Thrice Woven represented the end of a cycle and that this new record, Primordial Arcana, is, is the beginning of another. So I just kind of was curious about that, actually, because I think when that record came out, it's a fucking great record, no denying but it, it felt like a curveball for, for some people. Yeah, that was an interesting time, man. Um, yeah, Celestite. So I can only speak for myself, yeah. but for me, the process of recording Celestial Lineage was so intense. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so personal, so cathartic, so um, you know, magical and trippy. And then the time after Celestial Lineage... Um, was such an intense time in my life. It seems as though uh, Celestite was a necessary um, way to close that up. Yeah. Um, I felt like the working was so big and so um, in some ways out of control Mm. that Celestite, at least in my understanding, I know Nathan probably has his own feelings about it and Randall would have his own feelings as well. Yeah. Um, It was a way of closing the container. I felt as though with Celestite, I'd left something wide open. Yeah. And, um, you know, artistically, spiritually, personally, uh, there was just this, uh, you know, open door that anyone or anything could walk through. And Celestite was a way of uh, clearing the channels a little bit, giving respect to the process um, that we'd yeah. um, gone through, respect to the journey and then begin to very slowly open up to what comes next. And I mean, that's, that's the, that's the trip of being an artist is that it's such a personal thing. Like it's so tied up with 
the deepest and most intimate and most secret parts of your psyche. And yet it's revealed on the world stage as a rock and roll record that comes out on the internet or whatever. Um, but, and it's up for each person to experience it themselves. But I mean, that's what was going on for me artistically as the raison d'etre for the, for the record. Like somewhere between a palate cleanser and a smudging of the studio or, or psyche in, in at large almost. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So, so Primordial Arcana, let's get onto that because we've already spoken for 25 minutes and, and we've not even mentioned that really. I mean, this ties in with what we were saying about the whole um, DIY ethic and, and, and a musical upbringing and a grounding within those kind of mindsets. That The record was written, recorded, mixed, everything at our lodge, right? That's your place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how how was that doing that? Because I imagine that um, that it would be the 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 natural step, and I I know that frequent collaborators that become a part of the working environment and and working relationship within a band that is a very special thing. But at the same time, when you're so obviously working on a set path that you're carving yourselves, I think yeah, making the record yourself is the natural step but that's not an easy task is it i mean it's a bit like saying oh yeah this is what we're going to do by the way it's one of the most difficult things on on (laughs) to get right but i think the record is so great and it has this weight and density to it but real clarity as well and and it's real credit to you. you mixed it right yeah yeah i had i hadn't planned on mixing it but the uh job was thrust upon me by circumstance i mean mixing is is pardon the pun but that's a dark art within itself i think i mean we can all sit and record at home and and throw together a board mix and go yeah that's pretty cool but then i I know people that their job is they are mixers and then if you throw it to them it's um it'll come back this this whole other thing but you've smashed it on this record i think it sounds great thanks man yeah no it was my initiation i'd never mixed anything before beyond my own personal just kind of goofing around in the studio in my spare time stuff yeah so um, it was a challenge for sure, but um, like I just alluded to, it was necessary because we had planned on doing the thing you just spoke about. We did all the tracking and tracked it in a very meticulous way mm. and um, how so? with great intention, everything all, well, just, I mean, the way we work is we, maybe it's more of an old school way, um, we're tracking as we mix or we're, I guess we're mixing as we track in that we build our record in layers. So we'll record the drums, we'll record the basic rhythm guitars, and then we'll keep adding layers of guitar, synthesizer, whatever, ambience, um, until it sounds correct. We don't leave any of these sort of artistic things until the mixing phase. Um, there's this whole, uh, philosophy like oh we'll fix it in the mix. We'll make it sound cool in the mix. We'll bring the magic in the mix. Um, yeah. I mean, that's just not the way I like to do it. Like I want to commit as early as possible to the vibe of a particular part and have it sound the way it's going to sound. Yeah. And then mixing is just a matter of kind of clearing away any murk or any sort of um, distortions and uh, highlighting certain parts of the sonic spectrum. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we tracked it and it sounded awesome. Passed it off to a mix engineer because of course, as you said, mixing is a bit of a dark art. Mm. Increasingly, it's becoming a specialized job. Yeah. Um, and when we got the mixes back, it was just an incredible, 
one of the most deflating days of my life no way. Um, to hear this record that we had, you know, poured so much love and energy into. It was as if all of the magic, all of the love, all of the spirit power, all of the vision had just been sucked right out of it. And uh, it was just a empty shell. What do you put that down to? Uh, I think it's because maybe going back to the very first thing that we talked about, like our music is channeling spirits in the woods that like we work with and interact with and have lifelong relationships with. And if you're not also working with those same spirits or at least understand them or understand the spirit realm in that same way, Mm. you're just not going to be able to do the dark art of, you can make it sound good in quotation marks, but can you have the feeling? Can you have the, the heart feeling? Um, and the answer is no. And, um, so when we heard that, we just realized, well, fuck, I mean, I mean, we're just going to have to do it. So I had to buckle down. Um, and, uh, I mixed the first song mountain magic. Oh, at least a hundred times, just starting from every, all the faders at zero, all the hardware at zero mix it. I did that a hundred times. And then right, right around mix number 99, it started to sound good. Um, and then a few more mixes, uh, I realized it wasn't going to get any better and that was it. That was the mix. And then I just, you know, took that aesthetic, sonic aesthetic that I found on the first song and, and brought that into the other tracks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, one of those initiations that you never, I didn't expect to have to do that, uh, work. Um, both esoteric and exoteric, but what a blessing to um, realize, oh, we can totally do this going forward. Um, we could work with someone else or we can do it ourselves. And to have that freedom, to have that power is uh, it was a really good feeling. Yeah. Plus, you, I mean, your studio is based in, in amongst, is, am I right in saying it's in, in the forest? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's, um, I mean, like we live in a really cra- crazy place um, because, you know, Olympia is like a small, big town, small city. Mm. There's like a, whatever Walmart or across, you know, 10 miles away that we could go to, but the local university, uh, has a l- pretty large tract of forest, maybe a thousand acres, something like that. So a pretty big chunk of rainforest that they have in a, in a conservation trust of some kind is that evergreen state is that right indeed yeah it's like the local hippie college um you know it's founded by people who are just coming off acid in the mid-70s yeah and uh so it's one of those kind of hippie schools um that's changing i think that you know that old generation of heads from the 70s who are the original uh faculty have all kind of died off yeah so it'll become something else but um there was like a earth based consciousness that was woven into that institution. Mm. And um, so Evergreen State College owns, if you want to put it that way, this tract of land and our studio butts right up against it. So right, if you walk out the back door of our studio, you're in my, I think my favorite bit of forest in the world. It's spectacularly beautiful and um, so special to me because um I mean, it's the forest I grew up in. Like I grew up just, I don't know, a mile away from where our studio is at. So I've been playing and adventuring in this same spot, bit of forest for 40 years. Yeah. Um, And in many ways I have grown along with the forest because 
when I was a kid, the forest was, you know, scrubby, second growth. It had been logged off around 1910. And now it's like, there's like huge trees there. And like all of the animals and plants, you know, mature cascading rainforest are back. Um, it's coalesced. Yeah. And the spirits are back. And um, yeah, man, that's, it's, I can't express enough about how important it is to have that connection so close. Yeah. I think, I think that's apparent with the work. So I, I think that's, that's job done on that front. Let's talk a bit about mountain magic because that's, that was the, I think I got sent, did I get sent that first? I must've done right. And I think, and then when I was watching the video as well, that's obviously super important because I, I think <sighs> it clarifies a lot of the thoughts that I had mm. and the way I view your band. I think the album artwork does that as well, clearly, because, I mean, as you've discussed, I think it, it has such a painterly quality and, and I think the lighting on it, it does feel like an old Dutch master and, and I think that's a very beautiful thing. But But more importantly is the content of it which um which look i mean they are ritual items right it looks like a working altar to a, to a certain degree and i feel like you know with the wolf skull and what i think are wild turkey feathers for smudging but i'm not sure but then there's there's the athami as well and the crystals you know anyone that is within that world i think and is involved in magic is going to look at that straight away and realize that this isn't an aesthetic put on as you were saying earlier clearly it, it feels like it's it's the altar which of which yeah yeah i mean it's yeah it's i'm assuming they're all those yeah things. it's definitely a working altar hmm. yeah indeed like you know none of us are like orthodox thelemites or anything like we're not doing magic in any particular way with any particular rules yeah but yeah like you said anyone who works in these realms will identify the cover of that record as an altar that was built with magical intention yeah and has um you know there's a reason why we made it a certain way and there's uh, visions and prayers woven into it yeah i think all good art does have that um but but yeah i i think any as you said yeah anyone is is going to recognize those things and and i understand what you're saying about not following any kind of orthodox traditions because i think most people that work within those realms it's such a syncretic thing anyway that they just you know it's like oh i have a bit of this i have a bit of that this moves me this bit resonates with me and and you you know you build your own set of of tools i guess like you build a toolbox from all these different places and I mean, you know, I've heard you talk and, and when you were saying about about your meditative practice and, and it feels like those things that I've heard you talk about, it's it. And I don't I don't know. Some people might take this in, in, as if it as it being disparaging, but it feels like you could be one of the Ramdas people. <laughs> I don't know what's how to describe that. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Meaning that I, I know that if I'd said that to some certain people, be like, "Oh yeah, he's definitely one of the Ram Dust people." They'd be like, "Oh right," but but it it you know. No, I feel I feel like you know in, what I mean. I'm, I'm in Ram Dass's lineage for sure. Okay, I mean, like yeah, like good, um, like that whole that whole. I mean, I'm definitely like in the lineage and the wisdom stream of those whatever white Western hippies in the '70s yeah. who took tons of acid blew their minds open, realized there's a lot more here 
that can be accessed in other ways apart from uh, antheogens. Yeah. And began to look around, began to uh, experience the um, all of the blisses and pitfalls of finding gurus and teachers. And I'm so appreciative that that generation did what they had to do. So I don't have to go through the same yeah. <laughs> madness. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean like the, the, if anyone who's like doing meditation and as a Western person, um, they're coming through, that's coming through from a very slim, small number of people. Yeah. Whether it's Ram, Ram Das, whether it's Chogum Trungpa, yeah. whether it's Shunryo Suzuki in San Francisco, whether it's Jack Cornfield doing uh, Vipassana meditation. Yeah. It's like 20 people. And now, you know, there's millions or uh, tens of millions who are operating inside of that stream in one way or another and elevating it and finding other places to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. As much as you are, as I can hear that within your being, I also think that there's, there's obviously this clear understanding of uh, which, what, what I would term, but um, please don't be offended if you, if you don't, wouldn't term it in that way. But I would, I would call it an animist worldview because I feel like the way that I've heard you talk about spirits of places and specific areas of places and other beings within what would, people would consider inanimate objects. But I, I, I disagree with that. So I, I think that would be, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think animism. That's it's it's a it's like a that's like a um, word I don't use very often, mm. but um, the meaning of it a hundred percent. I mean, that's like absolutely what we are, the way we look at the world, um, and it's very experiential. It's not like some philosophical concept. It's like yeah, in this place in the forest, there are spirits that can you can uh, behold and interact with yep. through your. Uh, I don't know. It happens on a astral plane. It happens in your third eye. It happens in your heart. It happens in other places in your body. It happens in your dreams. Mm. It's just like lived experience. Yeah. Um, in that way, it's a very scientific view, um, because it's uh, it's verifiable. It just happens. It's like something that actually occurs. It's not some made up fantasy. It's just my experience of life. Well, it's it's the default modality anyway. I think. You know, and and it's almost like you know we're singing the praises of the of the guys that and ladies that came through in the sixties and seventies and and smashed their way through into these other realms. They are also the people that built the fucking internet, which has pretty much ru- ruined uh, a, a generation because of because it's it was like you know this beast that's been banging on a door and 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 the door's been opened and it turns out that this thing's running around destroying everything, but without getting too much into that. Um, I've lost my train of thought now, just getting angry. (laughs) I apologize. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, yeah, you know, the bo- the boomer, the uh, the boomers have left us with a, you know, a very mixed bag yeah. of... Uh, of of a draw dross left over from their own alchemic forges and yeah. and here we are yeah man like yeah the internet knocked down the door uh and you know i mean they had like those west coast visionaries who created the internet they had utopian visions of course and it seems as though the thing the thing the thing that has polluted it is greed people um essentially like i'm not really one to eh, yeah people but also people acting in a certain mode. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's like political and economic systems that we're so embedded in. We just think this is just the way it is, but um, you know, there's other ways of being that could exist. Like we, we can vision them in our fantasies. We can yeah. uh, think about them in uh, works of literature or in music. Um, but it's a bit more of a trick to bring it into 3d reality. Yeah, for sure. I feel like nothing. What, as you said, was this utopian ideal is has been so twisted, and and it's got to the point now where where you're feeding algorithms just this this idea that people are a resource. I mean, that's not going to end well. But anyway, again, let, let's not get into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that that's not man. Like, um, I'm just really careful with any sort of apocalyptic narratives. Yeah. Um, because I just see that, you know, we, we, we all laugh at the, uh, fundamentalist Christian preacher who says the world is going to end on this date and it doesn't happen. Yeah. And we all laugh at the hippies who said the world's going to end 2012, which I believe it did actually. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't happen and we laugh at them. And now here we are caught up in our own apocalyptic narrative that we're going to end up in uh, surveillance capitalism uh, dystopian hell and you know we're going to all end up in this hell realm this is all our and, du- this is the i mean maybe maybe not but i'm just is this is the collective dark night of the soul for sure maybe that's maybe that's the what we were talking about earlier it's something to be worked through i think so and and i guess if you know if we want to take the as above so below um maxim yeah. and apply it to uh what's happening in the world uh, I think we would both agree that the dark night of the soul on the other side of that is something that's extremely beautiful. And it's the dark night of the soul is epiphenomenal to a heart opening or a consciousness shifting that, um, 
brings us as individuals into a higher dimension or a higher state of consciousness, or if at the very least older and wiser. Um, so if indeed we are in a dark night of the soul as a culture, as a planet, um, isn't that a good thing? Uh, isn't that just a necessary part of a transformation that is occurring and we can't stop it from occurring? Uh, I guess my personal prayer is that, um, maybe going back to what I said about my own dark night of the soul, I wish I wouldn't have taken it so seriously. I wish I hadn't been, uh, so easily trapped in fear loops and apocalyptic visions about my own consciousness, my own soul, uh, AKA I will be insane forever. I will be sentenced to be tormented by these demons forever. Um, apply that to the time we live in. Now we are going to devolve into a dystopian surveillance capitalism hell. All of our minds will be downloaded into the mainframe. We'll be tortured by archons forever. I mean, I don't know. I just don't want to give too much uh, of my energy to those sort of dark visions because just from my own lived experience, I just know it's not very useful. And fundamentally, I don't think it's true. I think that's just a dark fantasy that we don't have to participate in. Yeah, I agree, actually. You're right. And I think making art is a is an incredible way of fighting through that. Oh, I I see it that way personally for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've all we've all had like eighteen months. Yeah, I mean, that, that have been um, tough. And but I think application of creativity is is a means of um, really helping pull out of that. Pull it out, process it, uh, move it through. Yeah, man. I mean, as like a, you know, metal musician who is very deeply uh, intertwined with very dark visions and like I'm around a lot of dark side sorcerers and uh, Satanists and this sort of thing. um, I've really enjoyed that's, you know, let's see, how should I put this? Um, I think there's a big difference between using art to, uh, process darkness versus calling it into being yes um versus willing it into being in the world or in your own life yeah um and it's a tricky line yeah and um, also but it's one that is no sorry i i sorry i was getting excited carry on <laughs> no no I, i'd reached the end of my thought yeah please, okay please carry but on, Daniel. i was thinking there is a fine line as well because i know what you're saying that that you know, we we've we live in a in a in a scene where the gnarliest stuff is is um, is fair for imagery and lyrical basis and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But and you're saying eating babies, yeah. And you're saying that you know that that we shouldn't look at that as a means of um, you know pulling those things forward. But the flip side of that is is obviously to be considered that um, as anyone. As you were saying earlier, you're working with teachers and energies and forces that are, that are using you as a conduit, but that could also be the other side of it as well. I feel like it's taken a real apocalyptic bent now, this conversation. I apologize. But yeah, anyway, let's go back to your record. <laughs> well, I'll say, I mean, no, no, I, no, I, there's one more thought that's really important. I, um, yeah, absolutely. We can be used as, as artists. Mm. Let's take magic out of the equation because that's going to turn a lot of people off or it just doesn't make sense to them. Mm. That's not the language that they use. 
as artists, um, yes, we align ourselves with certain energies and certain visions come through us. And I can only speak for myself that I'm very careful about what I align myself with. Um, I'm just so clear in my own heart that I am aligned with life. I am aligned with love. I'm aligned with uh, transformation of consciousness into a peaceful, loving, bounteous future. Yeah. Um, I can just see it in my artistic eye. And um, I mean, I've been around like really dark forces that are calling into being destruction. They are calling into being nuclear annihilation. Um, and I feel bad for those people. Um, it just seems like a real waste of time. Yeah. I, I think the clarity to see that though is definitely something that comes with age without wanting to sound like old guy chat. But I do think that, or maybe I'm just viewing that from my own personal perspective that, that that realization through doing, yeah, changing my mindset. I think that that, that's something that, that has come about as I've got older. Yeah, same for me. It, yeah, it takes time to, well, it, I mean, in my case, it just has t- taken a long time to understand who I am and be able to see myself on my deepest soul level, like see my own heart without any interference or distortion from the outside world, whether yeah. that's, you know, conditioning I've received from all the way over here, like occult realms or past lives, uh, all the way to the mundane of things I saw on TV when I was a kid or, uh, family stuff or, um, media messaging that we've all received. Uh, yeah, man, I wish, I wish I'd known myself like the way I do now when I was a younger man and it would have been a lot easier, but yeah, you know, this is just perhaps the human, the human life that we're all signed up for. Would you have listened though? Do you think? Um, well, that's I don't know. I, I can't, I can't, it, it just doesn't, I guess it doesn't work that way in my mind. Like yeah. all I can see is the, is the journey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once you think, once you start imagining, oh, what if I could go back in time to my younger self? Well, you just get into this weird sort of paradox, yeah. you know, kind of a back to the future kind of shit that, um, <laughs> kind of falls apart in my, in my, in my <laughs> rational mind. Yeah. I hear that. Right. So mountain magic, the video we started to talk about it and then um and then I threw a spanner in the works and we went off on a, on a tangent but not really um so in the video there's a couple of things that I wanted to sort of ask you about because I have a terrible habit of of tying things together or 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 needing to actually is probably a better way of describing it so there's there, I have some questions so I apologize in advance I know now through the previous conversation that you had that that you're smoking uh, mugwort at the start. Is that correct? Yeah, it's like a mugwort and maybe some sage is mixed in there, uh-huh. but primarily mugwort. Yeah, and then that started me th- making me think about that. I mean, that's a huge part uh, of what you do, right? I guess because I mean the label was called Artemisia, which is which is mugwort or, or wormwood, and and that that class, right, of that genus of plants so i i guess that that's yeah that's something that's that has a, a real important part in what you do can you tell me a little bit about that yeah for sure i mean well yeah just getting into the realms of plant magic mm. and um in my case uh working with what i've heard called subtle allies so you can drink ayahuasca you can smoke cannabis 
um, you can take mushrooms and that's a whole realm of experience, but any plant you can work with in a, in a, um, spiritual way or a psychoactive way, but their voices are just very, very quiet. And, um, yeah, you know, mushrooms will blast your mind wide open. Um, but yeah, mugwort, you have to listen very, very carefully and it's very slow and gentle and soft. Maybe it only comes in your dreams. The, the messages coming from the plant. Um, that's an approach I really appreciate. Um, because it's so antithetical to our modern Western approach to everything, which is just like, make it as big as possible, take as much of it as possible, make the experience as intense as possible. Yeah. Um, uh, so the idea is to make it as small as possible, make it as quiet as possible, make it as uh, ephemeral as possible and still be able to tune into it. Um, and mugwort in particular is, such a cool one because it really does come in the realm of dreams. Um, it's, you know, it's part of its lunar magic, um, is to enhance the dream life. So you can more easily bring messages and teachings from the dream world into waking life. Yeah. Um, the exact opposite of cannabis, which in my experience steals your dreams. Like it takes like your whole waking life turns into a dream. You're dreaming all the time and you go to sleep and it's just like a blank a blank slate. I mean, no knock, no knock on, on a, on cannabis. Like, yeah, I've smoked weed on and off for years. It's been amazing medicine. It had, it's a double-edged sword. Um, I'm kind of not, it's not available to me anymore, but who knows, maybe it will be again someday. Yeah. I find that, um, that world really interesting. And I find it super interesting that that it's being um not that it needs to be but it's being um uh, what would be backed up maybe by science not backed up not and i i i almost said legitimized but that that's definitely the wrong word within the context but do you know what i mean i it feels now that that people are beginning to understand if they're not viewing it from a um from like a spiritual level, but they're, they're realizing at least from a physical level that, that, that there is this whole world of plant life that, that interact with us constantly, whether we are aware of it or not. And um, you and I would probably view it in the sense that that's definitely um, the spirits of those things from an animist perspective, as much as it is the actual physicality of it, you know, like, um, have you read a book by um, Peter, I think it's Peter Wollaben? called the hidden life of trees no you know i was actually just hearing about this on a uh, a podcast i think is that is the concept that trees are communicating each other through root networks and then you know whatever chemical pheromones or something they yeah they uh, spritz through but, the air yeah but also not just with each other but but with people as well which is why um that you get like a real difference between you know ancient forests and forests that have been established for um i don't know as a combat to deforestation i suppose because wow it, when 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 you yeah what, it's interesting yeah when you actually enter within those places that, that there are there's such a um a soup of as you said sort of pheromones and chemicals within the air that it, it really it you, you the human body like reacts to it to the point where there, there's so many studies now about um about medicine and healing 
um, within within those environments. I think there's a, there was one study in in Korea that, that I'm probably going to get this all wrong, but um, they found that um, simply by being in um, some of the older forests there, that the the physical effect of of what they're saying is the pheromones, but you and I could view it in another way. Um, you know, it'll lower blood pressure, it'll increase arterial flow, and it it has a real physical effect. And and there was another thing about recuperating from um, serious disease that the recuperation time was so exponential done in this one place that was was based in the middle of a forest that the scientific minds behind it were just like, oh, it's because of because of this smell it's because of this pheromone it's because of this so then they started trying to recreate those in within a lab environment exactly yeah yeah of course and and yeah. it's like well, why isn't yeah. this working it's like well <laughs> but yeah i found that why not just leave the forest the way it is yeah right <laughs> you know yeah exactly wouldn't that be easier yeah it's like it's like make it's like making a problem where there isn't one like yeah i mean that's like the message that's the message I receive again and again from ancient forests. It's just, it's the, it's done. Like it's, there's nothing to figure out here. Just leave me alone and I will help you. Yeah. But (laughs) I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. Or, Or at least like, at least I'm willing to make a bargain. Like, cool. You've already logged off this whole area for your tree farms. No problem. But just this one zone, let's just leave this, leave me here so I can continue to exist on this planet so I can help you. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, you know, in terms of like our band does not get into politics at all. Mm. I think the political sphere is completely shot through and completely infiltrated with uh, complete bullshit. Mm. Um, I don't look at the world through that lens at all the only political action if you want to call it that that i'm really engaged with currently is the um forest defense that's happening in vancouver island uh, just across the border in canada where they are about to log the last like 2.5 percent of the old growth west coast forests um yeah yeah there's i mean you know whatever canada has this liberal government they're like 100% 100% committed to combating climate change. They're 100% committed to indigenous rights. They're 100% committed to X, Y, and Z. But yet the very last stands of ancient cedar, western hemlock, Douglas fir forests are slated to be cut. And unless there's action on the political side, on the direct action side, on the um, civil dis- disobedience side, on the magical side, capitalism will just wipe it all away. And that's crazy. Then science will discover t- five years from now. Oh shit, we shouldn't have done that because it turns out that these forests are a hundred percent necessary for carbon sequestration. They're hundred percent necessary for whatever the fucking magical pheromones that let you live for a thousand years. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the time and, uh, and these sort of issues exist all over the earth. And, um, I get a little bit frustrated sometimes that there's not a bit more outrage about these existential issues. Um, the same way there is about, I don't know, the, the bullshit social media meme of the day. Yeah. Whatever it might be. That's crazy though. Like you said, I mean, you think Canada to a certain degree, I mean, you know, it's all much of a muchness if we're honest, but, but there, there does seem to be places like that, like New Zealand, where it feels like they, they have, uh, some, 
something towards an understanding and i believe that that's because they're um the indigenous populations in those places that are, are actually being listened to or um well in new zealand's case very much so but in canada it, it that's quite a different story at the moment obviously with with all the recent news but um but yeah you, you'd think that 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 would not be happening. That's crazy, man. I didn't know that. It's madness. I mean, you know, whatever. I'm sure there's like national parks just the way there are in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it's still. this tiny it's it's this tiny fragment of what was there before white colonizers came. Yeah. And Jesus Christ, just like leave the last tiny bits that are left. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It drives me crazy. Yeah. No, no. I but I mean at the same time, there's this huge there's a huge direct action occurring. There's been a thousand arrests. Um, in the past six months oh, because wow. mostly young, young hippies led by indigenous elders, yeah. um, first nations elders are doing old school forest defense, the same kind of stuff that was happening on the West coast mm. 15, 20 years ago when people would lock themselves to trees, they would do all these sort of, um, physical direct actions, putting their bodies yeah. in between the pigs and the log, yeah. uh, extracting machinery. It's just super necessary. You were saying about about the cedars, and, and that's such an important part. I think from from what I can gather uh, again about everything we've been talking about as as a, as an intrinsic part of what you do within the band. Um, like in, in the video, there's a bit where I think you're burning cedar fronds, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I started thinking about. Um, I never put this together before, actually, but um, like on celestial lineage, um, lineage when it's the the, the track um, Thuja Majus Imperium, which is obviously a reference to that, isn't it? Because the, the great cedar is, is the Thuja placatus, I think is, which is, yeah, that's the tree, right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I'm, I don't consider myself a, a citizen of the United States. I'm the, uh, Western red cedar empire citizen. Is that, is that why there's the, um, the bit where you're placing an offering, um, to the tree that is salmon, isn't it? I think. Yeah. There's a symbiotic relationship traditionally between, the salmon runs that would come in from the ocean and the forests. Yeah. Um, it's actually the bears that would distribute a lot of that energy. You know, like the salmon is coalescing and condensing solar energy because mm. they're consuming plankton, which is a plant that's growing in the ocean. Yeah. Um, and their bodies, when they come in to spawn, are oftentimes scattered about by bears and other creatures. Um, and so part of the reason why the ancient forests in Cascadia are so fertile and the trees grow to such enormous proportions has to do with this relationship between forest, salmon, bears, plankton, the sun, the whole thing. And of course, those webs of interconnection exist everywhere on the planet, on Gaia. Um, and every location has its own unique form of that. Like, you know, what are these magical transformations that the earth is doing all by itself in wherever I live and um, in my own life, it's been such a joy to connect to and learn about those processes here in my home. Yeah. Uh, but I know they happen of course, everywhere on the, on the earth. Yeah. Trophic cascades, I guess is the, the scientific take on it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying for sure. As I was going through the record and, and kind of making notes as, as I often do when I first get a record, which is a terrible thing to do because I should just, fucking listen to it and enjoy it and be moved by it but i still can't help doing these things where i have to pick through it all the time which is it is something of a, an annoying curse but there you go 
in Spirit of Lightning, where it mentions Sununos, um, that's obviously, I mean, this that's what we're talking about. He was, he's like a sort of spirit sort of steward of nature, wasn't he? Like the horned hunter. And, and I guess where it's talking about hunting a white stag, like in Celtic lore and like in Arthurian myths as well, that res- represents the, the white stag or the white hind sort of represented the spiritual realm, doesn't it? So I guess is that that whole thing is just like a metaphor for like a hunt or a quest for sort of um, the spiritual or the numinous. Yeah, indeed. You know, um, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about mythology is that it operates on so many different levels of understanding. Yeah. Um, So yeah, part of it is uh, that traditional view of the white stag as the, I don't know. It's the thing that's always just beyond grasp. It's it's uh it's this the thing that comes to mind is a Zen koan. Mm. Um, you know, your thinking mind is trying to grasp it. You're trying to solve the problem with your ego mind or with your thinking mind. Um, but it's always just out of your grasp. And the way I see it, the white stag represents that same sort of very slippery and unquantifiable understanding or knowledge that can only be gained through esoteric means. Um, it can't be grasped through the machinations and the, um, the clever schemes of the thinking mind. Uh, the, the, the bounty of the hunt is taken um, through other, other strategies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, that's part of the problem with me is is that I will sit and prior to experiencing something, feel the need to um, try and grasp it, which is essentially the basis of all my conversations when I'm doing these, unfortunately. <laughs> but part of that, the, the the plus side of that is that I get a better understanding of things and realize that, that none of that's really important anyway. But yeah. Yeah, you know... Um, yeah, the, the, the struggle to grasp something intellectually is also a path. Um, I don't know. Let's think about like uh, the tradition of studying sacred texts like the Torah in um, Jewish tradition. Yeah. It's through arguing about fine points of theology or philosophy uh, in this very intellectual way um, that deeper understanding, you know, uh, let's say heart knowing comes into being. So whatever, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I think critical <laughs> theory is the same way. Like Co- Cody and I were just saying yesterday how annoyed we are with whatever, like leftist critical theory, like, uh, um, like Hegel or, and, um, and everything stemming from that, yeah. uh, that sort of root, root guru, um, you know, Foucault, this sort of thing. And in my, in the, my understanding, it's just like that entire body of knowledge is like, a koan with a billion words and um, cause there's no end to it, but it's through the process of engaging with these ideas that, ah, like all of a sudden something cracks open and uh, the white stag is, is taken yeah. for, even if just for a moment and uh, you know, the download occurs. I'm, I'm the kind of dude that would prefer the koan with five words just cause I'm a minimalist in that way. Yeah. But then that's funny, isn't it? Because it feels like now the, um, as I was saying earlier, that it feels like science is suddenly butting heads again now with with the mystical, because obviously those were two two paths that ran totally in parallel 
back in the day. That's a terrible thing to say as well. But, you know, in history, because it was astronomy and astrology, et cetera, et cetera, physics and alchemy or chemistry and alchemy probably would be a better, better way of looking at it. But those two things totally separated and divided. But now, like a DNA coil, they're kind of coming back in on themselves. And, you, and you've now got these bizarre kind of theories about science. And I don't want to get into that too much. But it feels like they're, they're, they're kind of coming back into the same realm. And I, as long as it gets to the point where people are looking at those things in that sense from either one lens or another, I, I think that that's got to be a good thing, right? I think so. I mean... I could talk about this all day, but in, in short, um, if we could have the human, the powers that we have developed through technology, if those were informed by the deep love that is always rising up from the earth and the vision that the earth or celestial entities can imbue us with, if those two could come together, I mean, that would be Eden. Um, I see no reason why that won't occur. Um, there's like a thing in human consciousness where we always think we've arrived at the end of history. I remember like in high school, my chemistry teacher saying, this is it. Like, uh, there is no particle smaller than the neutron, proton, neutron, or electron. These rules of chemistry are it. Yeah. And remember at the time saying, what are you talking about? I know there is something else. Yeah. Like every, cause it just because from the experience, I've read a history book. I know that at all these different points, the paradigm is that this is it. We have arrived at the end of history. We well, yeah. know all there is to know. Yeah. That's scientism though, isn't it? It's like, we know everything there is to know right exactly. now. We've we we fig- don't worry guys. We figured it all out. Every here's everything. And it's like, well, exactly. Well, not at all. Not at all. And it never has been. And it never will be. Yeah. Because it's a constant journey as is everything. But, but yeah, I'm, conscious that we've spoken for an hour and a quarter and I don't want to take up too much of your day but I think I know I know you're um you're a dad aren't you and I feel like hearing you talk about these things I think this is how how things will change hopefully I think because I I imagine um you're telling your your son about these things yeah man my son is an interesting case he's uh yeah it's his birthday on Sunday uh, He'll be eight. Okay. And uh, he's like a fucking science wizard. Like the way that his mind works. Yeah. He can understand uh, these really complex mathematical and scientific concepts um, so easily and so naturally. Yeah. And at the same time, he's so tuned in to the world of spirit. Amazing. And to... Um, a feel this, you know, love in his heart. And of course, you know, I mean, all children are magical and they all seem, especially as a parent, like you see yeah. the, the beauty in your child. Like you just can't help but do that. Yeah. But I also see this in a bunch of other kids too. And um, call me a hippie, like call me like uh, a space case, but I do genuinely believe that there is transformation in consciousness occurring. Yeah. And that um, there will be, a union between the the brilliant mind that can create the internet or that can create a solar panel and the loving heart, the wisdom of a loving heart that is perceived 
through conscious through access to the wisdom of our ancestors the guidance of our ancestors the wisdom of the earth the wisdom from angelic beings and there won't be this contradiction between the two um that's what i want that's what i call into being um and art is the way for me um i mean that's the 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 palette of pure creation where i can vision this uh future that we all want that's all everyone wants exactly the same thing that's what we want to have yeah and um i see no reason why it can't occur yes that's a great way of finishing thanks mate yeah man it was great to talk to you daniel i've was looking forward to this conversation and um yeah it was a great pleasure Thanks for listening to episode number 42 of Someone Who Isn't Me. As I said, you can check out the other episodes online um, if that floated your boat. There's a bunch more and they're they're all pretty great as far as conversations go. Uh, I mean, I really enjoyed them. That's pretty much the only reason I do these. You can find me on the socials at Daniel P. Carter. The podcast is at Swim Podcast. Aaron is at Cedar underscore Serpent on Instagram. And the band is at W-I-T-T-R Official. Their latest album, Primordial Arcana, is out now. And as I said, it's one of my favorite albums of 2021. Not that that means an awful lot to anyone else, other than it's my uh, suggestion that you go and check it out immediately if you haven't already. It's absolutely fantastic, beautiful, and moving stuff. Like, subscribe, and spend a few seconds leaving a nice review if you would. Also treat yourself and those around you with love and respect. And that includes the places around you as well. Thanks again. I'm out. Peace.